Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Wonderful to be here on this beautiful fall day. Happy fall, Eric. Happy fall to you. Thank what a you. great day to take your dog for a walk. Isn't it? It's not raining right now. It's clear. Well, it's not clear, but it's cool and it's comfortable. And it's not hot. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. It is a nice day to take your dog for a walk. In fact, take them somewhere new even. New sights, new sounds, new smells, most importantly. Give them a little treat to their nose. Um, we have, I'm so excited for today's show, our, one of our newest partners, Access, and Dr. Beth Davidow, who is the medical director for Access Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services, is with us today in the booth. Welcome to the dog show. Thank you, Julie, for having me. Uh, it's first of all, I uh, we have a lot. You guys are celebrating your ten year anniversary this week. Yes. Yes. Yep. So congratulations on that. That's awesome. Um, ten year anniversary this week of Access Critical Care Vets is their website, and um, I'm just so. First of all, I've had personal experience with Access with Chewy, who. Um, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you remember what I went through with him and um, uh, talked about, you know, my end of life experience with him and all that stuff. And it was really, really, really uh, invaluable experience with the vet that I met with um, and just to consult with her about kind of the course of action with him. And I am so proud to have access as a partner of the show. Uh, so I just want to start off and say that it's really, really exciting for me it's been about four and a half years now that I've been on the air, and it's uh, I take it as a really huge compliment. So thank you so much for your partnership, and I'm just so much so looking forward to all of the educational opportunities that await us uh, and really uh, benefiting from all of the expertise that you house at Access. And we're going to talk about that today, really about um, a lot of what you do, your, your blood bank that you have, um, your emergency services. And also, really, the specialists that you house and giving the audience a an understanding of what role specialists play when it might be time to take your pet to a specialist if you're not referred by your veterinarian, you know, already. Um, and, and the different types of specialists that are out there and that I think a lot of people don't really know that that's even um, available to them. Um, I think some are more obvious than others, but it's really, um, really wonderful that this is a resource for the community. And first of all, we were talking before the show about sort of the history of uh, 24-hour emergency services in Seattle and um, and also, you know, um, specialists, the availability of specialists and how you were saying how Seattle's really been sort of slow to catch up to, like, you know, areas of the East Coast, for example. You were talking about this really amazing um, hospital in New York. Yes. So tell us about that that history. I mean, you uh, started Access, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're the founder, and um, you know what was there before you and since then. And so it's really interesting. Phil... Fill us in on that. So um, I moved to Seattle in 1995 and uh, worked 
first starting in a day practice, and I took care of dogs and cats and also some exotics, and then um, quickly ended up at an emergency hospital. And in 1995 in Seattle, there was no hospital that was open 24 hours around the clock where you could have an animal who was really sick or who really needed the equivalent of a human ICU. There's no place like that. Mm-hmm. And so the place I worked was in Linwood, and it, we opened at 6 at night. We were open till 8 in the morning. And at 8 in the morning, you know, the doctor had been on for 14 hours. The hospital closed. There was nobody there. And all the animals had to leave and go somewhere else. Mm. And this was the model. There were several other hospitals. Emerald City's been here for a long time in Seattle. At that time, it was also after hours only. It was open longer on the weekends. But what we found, I think a lot of us working in the emergency field at that time, found these frustrating cases. And so I think the case for me that really was a turning point is I had a dog who developed tetanus. And tetanus is a very, very severe disease. And the animals are so stiff. They're stiff as a board. They can't move. Mm. And the more stimulation they have, the higher their heart rate are, the more stressed they are. And this poor dog with tetanus had to be transported back and forth between us and their regular primary care day practice who had other patients, busy schedule, had never seen a tetanus case, wasn't sure how to deal with it. And the dog died in transport on the third day. And for me, that was a failure of our system. And it was a failure that we didn't have a better way to take care of this dog. Mm -hmm. And for me, at that point, I really started to work both with the clinic I was working at at the time to say, we need to change this. Other parts around the country have 24-hour hospitals. They have boarded surgeons. They have specialties in internal medicine. They have neurology specialists. Why doesn't Seattle have a hospital where those people are working together that's 24 hours where we can do this? And um, at the same time, I met um, another emergency vet, Jean Maxner, who was having the same thoughts in a different emergency practice. We were introduced. We started discussing. And it took us about four years to put it together. But we opened our doors in September 2003. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we opened with the goal of saying people aren't going to have to move their animals at 8 in the morning anymore and that you're not going to have to transport your dog who has multiple pelvic fractures and on oxygen from one place to the other. You can get them somewhere and they can get taken care mm. of. Um, and so we opened with uh, 12 employees in um, 2003 and um, have slowly added specialties and added doctors. Um, we now have two locations, one in Seattle and one in Renton. We have our emergency clinic, our ICU. We have a blood bank. We have boarded specialists in internal medicine, radiology, um, oncology, cardiology, and surgery. And so together, by having this team of people with different expertises, we can really take care of not only a bad hit by car or a bad tetanus case, but we can also take care of, you know, the diabetic animal who's now diagnosed with an adrenal tumor or the, um, you know, pet who's got a foreign body that's stuck in their esophagus that we need a special scope to get out of. Um, we can diagnose things in a much better way because we have a CT scanner. And then we also have our blood bank so we can provide those blood products that these really critical animals need. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, I really have an appreciation, even more of an appreciation after hearing you talk about this, about the value, one, of not having to move these animals who are, you know, shouldn't be moved and, you know, really are in critical um, situations, but of having a team of specialists to kind of cover all your bases and hear somebody might think of something 
that another person may not. I mean, there's so much value to collaboration and that, you know, the body, the body is not necessarily, you know, a linear thing. It's like everything is related to everything else and to really understand the relationships between everything and to have all of that expertise under one roof. I can see how, you know, that gives you the ability to really provide a really, really high quality of care to the animals. Yep. And I I think what's really valuable is realizing how much knowledge is out there about how to treat both animals and people Mm -hmm. and that there's no way that one person on their own can keep up with all those new developments. Mm -hmm. And so what really makes sense is just like you have your primary care physician who takes care of your basic needs and keeps track of everything that's going on with you. But then if all of a sudden you develop diabetes, they're going to refer you to an endocrinologist to help them manage that. Mm -hmm. They're still going to do all your primary care. But if you then broke your leg, you're going to see an orthopedic surgeon to fix that. Well, I think that that same model works for veterinary medicine, that you need a good primary care veterinarian. And those people are incredibly valuable and incredibly good and can handle lots of things. But there are advances that are done in orthopedic surgery. Most veterinarians can't afford to have all the stainless steel implants and also to go to all those CEs and learn all the techniques for placing bone screws and getting everything to work. And there's a lot of new stuff about using Kinsella's bone grafts and other things. Um, Or they, you know, they can manage your pet if they have basic diabetes, but if your pet's one that doesn't respond right to insulin, you need somebody who has investigated all the newer insulins and all the newer therapies, and each individual can't keep track of all of the developments in all the different fields. Yeah. Um, One of the things that you said that um, definitely struck me is that people, I think, you know, you have your regular vet. And then, but they do surgeries and some do more than just, you know, spays and neuters and and stuff like that. And I think people, that's one reason that people don't necessarily think to go to a specialist or that a specialist might be needed or beneficial in in any specific case because there's sort of this gray area in between where like some, some of those types of surgeries are offered in the vet clinics, but, um, that person may or may not be up to date, like you said, on all the, uh, you know, they're not a specialist. Right. So, And I think what's a little bit interesting is it's a changing field. Um, so veterinary medicine in general. I think there are a lot of veterinarians who've been out of school for 20 years who, at the point they came out of school, um, were expected to do a lot of surgery. Mm. And some of those people are excellent surgeons, and they've done a lot of it. So, you know, one of the things I like to think about is um, if uh, there's some interesting things about what makes you an expert and how long does it take to be really good at things. And um, there there's some people who say it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert. And that really resonates to me because 10,000 hours is basically five years of full-time work. Mm-hmm. Or if you do a residency, you work 60 hours a week when you're doing a residency. So that's three years, 60 hours a week is 10,000 hours. And so when you do a human residency to then become a specialist, or if you're a veterinarian and you do a veterinary residency to become a specialist, it's basically that you've done 10,000 hours just in that one thing, and that's why you're good at it. Right. 
So that being said, there are some of these older veterinarians who or people who have a very specific interest in surgery who've somehow they've gotten that 10,000 hours. And Mm -hmm. so they can do a really good job. But I think that as the field has changed, a lot of newer veterinarians do not get that much surgery experience in school. It becomes more and more important to ask, how many times have you done this? Is this a surgery you do all the time? And there's certain things where it just doesn't make sense if you're doing primary care veterinary medicine for you to have the equipment that we have because your caseload's different. Right. You know, you're going to do lots of spays and neuters. They probably, you know, dogs eat things all the time. Lots of veterinarians are very competent to take out foreign bodies. But if you've got a compound fracture of the ankle, you know, in order to have good function long term, you really want somebody who's done those. Yeah. And they're, you just don't see them enough to, in any little practice, have done a ton of those. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is great. We are going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk more with Dr. David Au and Access Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services here in Seattle and Renton. They have a second location in Renton as well. The website is criticalcarevets.com. Check them out online. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to canine and feline caviar, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 29th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our animal friends Sunday. Mollywood Avian Sanctuary and Macaw Rescue and Sanctuary will cover the birds. All Breed Equine Rescue will cover the horses in the north end. Plus, our own mortgage lender, Peggy Kaler, joins us. She's got a huge announcement, plus she's bringing Cowgirl Horse Rescue. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Hi, I'm Martha Childress with the Natural Choice Network. Join us every Tuesday at 1230 p.m. right here on Alternative Talk, 1150. Each week, we invite leaders from our sustainable community to share their unique visions and valuable insights. You'll learn great tools to make your life greener, healthier, and more sustainable for generations to come. Thank you for making the natural choice. That's the Natural Choice Network every Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Please join us. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist www.sensitivedog.com Don't touch that dial. You might miss something life-changing. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM.
All right. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are back with Dr. Beth Davidow, who is the Medical Director of Access, Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. That's a CCES. Uh, CriticalCareVets.com is their website. Check them out. They have two locations, Seattle and Renton. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So we were talking a little bit in the first segment about the history of... um, you know, the local history of uh, 24-hour care and how you really saw the need for a emergency service that was open for 24 hours after 24 hours so that these animals who were, you know, had recently experienced a trauma or were sick weren't needing to be transported back and forth from emergency care overnight to the regular vet during the day and then back to the, I mean, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine that that's how things were, you know, operating right. up until fairly recently. It sort of blows my mind. So thank you for, you know, starting um, access and providing this to the community because it's so important. Yeah, it's interesting. Now um, I have young kids and I, now when I think about the idea of how does a family who has, you know, two careers and kids in school pick up your dog at eight in the morning from an emergency clinic and drive it to another practice. Just Mm -hmm. the impracticalities in everyday life, let alone, you know, the true emergencies or the the animals who just shouldn't be moved. You know, I just think just giving people the option to say, you can come at 10 after you've dropped your kids off. Right, right. Provides an enormously important service for families. Yeah. Well, in addition to your emergency and critical care services, you also house a number of specialists. And you were talking a bit about what makes a specialist a specialist versus your general uh, general practitioner, um, family vet who, who deals with more of the routine things. And you're talking about the hours and, the, you know, the amount of experience, basically. So what are the different types of specialists that work with Access under Access's roof? Yep. So we have um, specialists in a number of disciplines. And when we um, say that somebody's a specialist, it means that they've done four years of college, four years of veterinary school, usually a one-year internship, and then they've done a three-year residency in their field of interest. And then they've passed an exam that has documented that they know the material that was in their residency. And then they are... um, they are then said that they are a specialist. Mm-hmm. And most of those specialists will have extra letters after their names. So mm-hmm. veterinarians are usually DVM. Mm-hmm. Um, they The specialists then become a diplomat of a college. And so I'm a boarded specialist in emergency critical care. And so it, I'm a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary and Emergency Medicine. Mm. So um, we have specialists in emergency critical care. There's two of us who are boarded specialists in that field. And what does that mean, boarded? So the boarded means we passed a board exam. And so that means that we did actually not only do the residency, but we passed this test. And these, these tests at the end of your residency are, you know, two full day exams in which, you know, somewhere between 50 to 70 percent of the people pass and the other people don't. Mm. And so, you know, it means something to say that you've shown that you um, in many of the fields, you have to publish a journal article. Um, in many of the colleges, they are oral exams as well as written exams or an essay exams is all part of that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we have specialists in emergency critical care. We have specialists in internal medicine. And internal medicine is, um, you know, if you think of if you're a person, you go to a gastroenterologist. Um, veterinary internal medicine specialists are a combination of gastroenterologists, pulmonologists, endocrinologists. So they do kind of the the medical problems, but the medical problems that become very difficult to manage. They do a lot of immune diseases, mm. um, blood diseases. And so they're really the backup to your veterinarian when something gets really complicated um, Which, on the medical side. And it just seems to be, I mean, with uh, the word autoimmune, I'm hearing all over the place now. I mean, it's like, what is happening? It's these dogs are you know, this chronic itchy skin that nobody's able to figure out. And I mean, it's like Something that really seems to be blowing up, unfortunately, and something that we really do need specialists for because I'm just seeing symptoms being chased and animals, you know, nobody's really able to figure it out. I mean, as far as, you know, multiple reg regular vets. Yep. And and some of these immune diseases, a lot of the immune diseases we deal with because we have the blood bank is a lot of the immune-mediated blood diseases. And so a lot of those animals, when those immune-mediated blood diseases hit, those animals need transfusions to mm -hmm. support them while these really powerful immunosuppressive drugs are kind of kicking in. And the immunosuppressive drugs are really tricky to use. And um, there are some cases that respond beautifully to the first-line agents. What becomes really tricky is if your pet doesn't respond to the first-line agent or has side effects to those, the newer drugs, the people who have the most experience with those newer drugs are the specialists because mm -hmm. that's what they see on a regular basis. They've just seen more cases. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we have boarded surgeons, um, and our surgeons are doing both soft tissue surgery, which may be things like removing adrenal tumors, removing large liver masses. Um, your animal gets a huge wound, and it needs a skin graft or a skin flap to close it. it you can't just suture it. It's too big. Mm. Um, they do remove lung lobes. We do surgery around the heart, removing the heart sac and certain kinds of diseases, and then all kinds of orthopedics. Um, um, as well as joint injuries. So, you know, one of the most common injuries in dogs is um, cranial cruciate ligament injuries, which is the you know, same injury that people get skiing or playing basketball. But, you know, there there's some vets who do that surgery, but the newer surgery that's being more recommended um, is more complicated and requires some special tools. It's called a TPLO. Mm. Usually, if you're going to do a TPLO, you usually want a boarded surgery specialist to do that procedure just because of the way it works. Mm. Yeah, and that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole nother show, which I look forward to. Um, about the orthopedics yep, and, you know, really talking about that because it does feel really common that dogs are blowing out their knees or, you know, all different types of and then understanding the different types of injuries that commonly occur and the different ways to treat them, right. surgery, recovery, all that stuff. So, yep. um, so you've got your cardiologists, your internal medicine specialists, orthopedic, and then you have a... Um, new oncology unit, correct? Yes. So it's a kind of new to us, not new to the area. So we're very fortunate that um, Dr. Carrie Maleo, um, who is a boarded specialist in both medical oncology and also in radiation oncology, she had her own business for many years. She actually moved um, to the area in 1995. Um, we have worked out of the same facility since when we opened 
um, they moved in with us in 2004, Mm -hmm. worked together for a long time. A lot of cancer patients need surgery as part of their treatment. They need surgery and radiation or surgery and chemotherapy. Mm. So we do a lot of cases in common. We finally decided we should be one business. Mm. Um, And so Dr. Maleo is now part of the access team. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, she is very good at, you know, kind of helping. Is it chemotherapy that makes sense? What's the prognosis if we do that? Um, should we do surgery? Should we do radiation? You know, what are the likelihoods of various options with various choices that I make along the way? Mm-hmm. And then we have the ICU to support those animals because some of those animals are very sick when we start out um, their chemotherapy. And, you know, sometimes it's our internal medicine specialist that actually diagnoses the cancer and then our oncologist takes over and then maybe our surgeon gets involved. So again, a lot of these cases, we're all working together. Mm. And so important that the the communication is easier that way for the team to really communicate with each other as opposed to being in different locations, not knowing the person who you're, you know, trying to talk to about the same patient. I mean, I know in my experience with even with people that I know, it can get so almost confusing. It's like, well, then I went and saw this person and then this doctor and, well, they don't necessarily have the information, right? you know, if they, they can't just download each other's brains. And so for everyone to really be a team in-house and to ease that communication as well um, feels like it's really important, too. Yeah, it's really important for us as a team when we're dealing with a complicated patient. And then what's very important for us is that the prime, your primary veterinarian is part of our team as well. And so what often happens with many of these cases is we are dealing with the cancer. We're dealing with the other things that are there. But actually, your vet still needs to make sure you're up to date on your vaccines and that you still um, are on the flea prevention you need to be on and that the other parts of your wellness care are still getting taken care of. And that in situations where they may have extensive records about other issues that are going on, that sometimes the communication we have with them is really important to keep everybody in the loop, that Mm -hmm. they end up being your central person. And that we do, there's some kinds of cases like an animal who's diabetic, we will sometimes get them back on track and then your vet's going to do the rest of your monitoring once we set up a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're a team with you as the pet owner and then with your primary vet and then with us as a specialty team to support you. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk and learn more about your blood bank. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You gave me a tip. I got me full cast pay. You were holding the greyhound in trap number one. Your white coat was shining in the afternoon sun. Now we're both together. We're never going to break apart. No, no. Because we're a happy couple, you and me. Do you have an injury, old or new, that won't heal? Are you fighting a cold or illness you can't kick? Do you feel like you've tried everything and are still struggling to find wellness and balance in your physical health? Have you been unimpressed with acupuncture in the past? For over a decade, Robert Medusia has been making a difference for people who thought they had exhausted their options. Don't settle for pain and illness. Call 425-828-6190. 
That's 425-828-6190. Again, 425-828-6190. The Acupuncture and Sports Clinic of Kirkland. Heal faster, play longer. Conversations Live with Vicki Sinclair discusses issues that are important to you, like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki Sinclair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. Want a faster metabolism? Desperate for more energy throughout the day? Food is our most powerful medicine, and on Passionate Nutrition Radio, I'll answer your burning nutrition questions and offer real solutions for your family. On Passionate Nutrition Radio, you'll learn how to transform how you look and feel with the foods that you eat. My name is Jennifer Adler, and I'm a nutritionist, chef, and founder of Passionate Nutrition, a nutrition practice with six locations throughout the greater Puget Sound area. Join me on Passionate Nutrition Radio for a weekly serving of nutrition wisdom. Learn more at PassionateNutrition.com. That's Passionate Nutrition, every Friday at noon. Hi, I'm Pat Pauley. Tune into my show, Get Active, each Tuesday at 12 noon on Alternative Talk, 1150. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about one of the wonderful activities in the Puget Sound region, ones that you may want to participate in. We'll focus on how adult beginners can comfortably get into all of these activities. You'll learn a lot about how you can get active. Be sure to listen. That's Get Active with me, Pat Pauley at 12 noon each Tuesday on Alternative Talk 1150. 1150 KKNW.com. It's why they invented the Internet. We think Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we are back with Dr. Beth Davidow, who is the medical director of ACCESS, Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. That's their acronym. And you can find them online at criticalcarevets.com. Now, before I forget, before we talk about your blood bank that you have, um, you have an event coming up about, is it this fall, about uh, caring for an active dog? Is that right? Yes, we uh, do. We are going to be having a workshop, um, and one of our surgeons, Tamara Walker, is going to be talking about caring for the active dog, talking about some of the injuries that can happen, Mm. and there's more information about that workshop on our website. Awesome, and that's criticalcarevets.com, and I'll be announcing um, that in future shows uh, regularly, too, So and posting on our homepage, which is dogradioshow.com. That's definitely... uh, a really common one that people I think would really benefit and their animals of being more um, knowledgeable about. And I know with two, uh, one in particular, we have a cattle dog who's just uh, the active dog is an understatement for him. So uh, but all stuff really good to know what sorts of supplements are good to give preventatively or if a dog has had surgery, all that great stuff. So really look forward to that. In this segment, I wanted to, um, learn more about your blood bank, that you have very unique service in the area. And we know uh, a few dogs who participate regularly in, uh, you know, as donors. So tell us about that. So we, uh, the blood bank uh, was 
part of the hospital that started really in 2004, so shortly after we opened. And at that time, there were only four veterinary blood banks in the whole country. And what would happen is you would have an animal who came in who'd been hit by a car. They had lost blood. You needed to give them a transfusion, and you couldn't get blood. It would be backordered. There'd be not enough to get it. Mm. And so we decided that in order to really do critical care well and to be able to care for these patients coming into our hospital, we need to have blood available. Well, dogs need to have dog blood and cats need to have cat blood. And so you've got to have the blood from somewhere. And Mm -hmm. so it's just like with humans, you need donors. And so we originally started with 10 employee animals, and we have slowly built our program, and we now have 180 dogs and cats who donate blood. And um, the dogs have to be at least 50 pounds, um, and that's because we use human blood bags to collect the blood. Mm. Um, the dogs are amazing. So they we don't sedate the dogs. We um, pick dogs who like people and who are treat and toy motivated and they come in. We do a physical exam. They're all – we um, do full blood work and a full physical exam on these dogs so we know that they're healthy. They're dogs between the ages of one and five. And then we screen them for infectious diseases to make sure their blood's safe. And then we do blood type them so we know which blood type they have. And then when they come in to donate, they lie on a cushy kind of yoga table and their owner's with them the whole time. And we um, do one poke to get the blood, um, and it takes about 10 minutes, and they've got to lie still while we're doing it. We take about 450 milliliters of blood, which is about two cups, and then we give them tons of uh, toys, uh, treats afterwards, and they get to pick their own toy out of the bin. And you would think that these dogs, after getting poked with a big needle every time they came into our hospital, would get so they didn't want to be there. But actually, the dogs who are on, like, Donation 10 are more excited than the ones on Donation 1 because they are so excited about the liver treats. Mm -hmm. And so they just, like, they come in, and some of the owners have told us that they get, like, a block from our hospital, and the dogs start going nuts. Mm -hmm. And they come, and they're revved up. We have some of them will jump on the table and lie down for us now. Mm -hmm. And they just... They don't mind it, and they really are lifesavers. So the you know number of cases where I would not have gotten through a surgery or I would not have gotten that dog through the hospital without blood is amazing. Mm. Um, so it's a hugely valuable service, and they're all volunteers. So you know they're doing it because they you know some of the owners have had another dog who's had a blood disease, and mm. so they wanted their next dog to give back. Yeah. Um, is it the kind of thing where you're always looking for more donors? Always looking for mo- more donors. So the dogs we donate um, about once. Once you're in the program, we ask for a 12 donation commitment, and we do that basically over three years. We have you come in four times a year. You can give dogs can give blood as often as once a month, um, but we try to spread it out just for everybody's convenience and for the dogs. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to take blood after they're a certain age. After a certain age, we kind of say, well, you know what? You're starting to get more geriatric. There are things about your kidneys and liver that even if your blood works perfect may not be quite as good as it used to. Above all, we're going to do no harm. And so dogs come into the program. After several years, they retire out of the program, Mm -hmm. which means we need a constant supply of dogs. Yeah. 
Um, and where do you do that out of both locations? Is it the Lake City location? Yeah, so we're actually doing um, donations at a couple of different locations. So we do donations in our Lake City location, in our Renton location. Um, we are very fortunate to have a partner, which is Cascade Animal Clinic that's out in Monroe, mm-hmm. that wanted to help us. And we do, do donations out in Monroe at their facility. Um, and then we're actually also doing some donations at Woodhaven Veterinary Hospital, which is up in Edmonds. Okay. And so we actually have four different locations now where we're doing donations and can interview and meet a new donor. Mm-hmm. And uh, how would people find out about the schedule? I assume there's maybe certain days that those those satellite locations are are taking blood or? Yep. And so actually the best way to get information about the blood bank is to call our hospital. And um, there's on our menu as you call, you'll get um Put press three for the blood bank, and um, they'll put you into our voicemail. You can also go online again to our criticalcarevets.com website. There's a section all in the blood bank that has tons of information about the program, and there's a way you can um, email us as well if you want to find out mm-hmm. when we're going to be where. Mm-hmm. And there's no cost to a volunteer with no. Nope. So yeah. it's a great. I mean, you get an exam and. Yep. Blood work done, yep. right? Exactly. Complimentary. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. an exam before every donation. Mm-hmm. We do blood work actually yearly because we want to make sure our donors stay healthy during that time. The typing information goes to your veterinarian as well as all the blood work so they have it. Um, and then the only other kind of – they get the treats and the toys. We have a calendar we do every year. Yeah. We have a party for all the donors every year. Mm-hmm. The only other perk is that if your animal ever needed a transfusion, they would get the first transfusion fusion for free. Mm. Um, and so that's one way that we can kind of give back through the blood bank. So That's great. It's a really important thing to do, really easy way to give back to the community and have your dog help support other dogs in need. Um, and you said dogs are that are 50 pounds and over mm-hmm. and are um, not older than how old? So we uh, take them into the program between one and five. Okay. So older than five, they can still donate, but we don't take new donors after that age. Got it. Got it. Very cool. I'll have to um, bring my big lab in. He's a happy, happy, easygoing dog that would probably just love all the attention and wouldn't really care about being pricked at all. Right. Regardless of all the cool stuff that happens around (laughs) it. So, yeah, and he's a year and a half, so that'll work well. Um, and that's criticalcarevets.com is the website. You can get all the contact information. And if you're wanting specifically to learn more about how to get your dog enrolled in the blood donor program to just call the hospital and then um, I think it's press three, you said, yeah. for the blood bank and then um, and then leave a message and then they'll get back to you. So definitely check that out as well. And there's lots of locations, which is awesome. So you really spread out around Western Washington. So it's accessible for people. And your um, your particular specialty is in emergency critical care. Yes. And um, what, I mean, and you've been in this field for almost 20 years now? Yeah, almost 20. And how have you, I mean, how do you not, uh, how do you take care of yourself emotionally in this field? Um, so I think that it is a hard field because we do see a lot of very sick and very critical animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what, you know, what drives me is that if I learn something from every patient and I can share what I've learned with other people, then even if I haven't saved that particular patient, 
I've learned something that might help me for the next one. Mm. And for me, that's really important that, you know, our when we formed Access, one of the things we said is our purpose is to continuously improve the quality of emergency critical care and specialty medicine in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. And so, you know, I find that the animals that I didn't save drive me to learn more and mm. drive me to teach other people about what I've learned so that we can all do a better job for these pets. Um, and then I think the other thing that's really important to me that I try to teach other people is that there are times when we're not going to save them. And I being able to identify that early and helping owners make a decision quickly mm-hmm. is sometimes really valuable. And sometimes the biggest things that our team can do is to say it is okay to stop mm-hmm. and it's the right thing to do and your pet understands and this is what you need to do. And that that's very hard, but it's also um, very powerful to be able to help people in that way. Because again, I'm, I'm here for pets, but I'm also here for families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's valuable to me is, is, making it okay for people or as much as they can. Yeah. Yeah. In in a really hard situation. And I just have so much admiration and respect for not only you starting access, but just for the work that you do and how intense it is to, um, you know, for in, you know, intellectually, emotionally, you know, for all in all the areas um, just to say that I'm impressed would be an understatement, and I'm just very grateful for the services that you provide the community, and I have personally benefited from them, and it's it's invaluable, really. I mean, you're talking about family members and in in dark times, and to have strong, knowledgeable experts who are there to support you and to help you get to wherever you're going to get in the best way possible is really really invaluable. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, we. You know, we we enjoy it. We like being part of the community. We like all the people we've learned from and get to work with. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing that drives us is some of these just fantastic success stories. Um, I think one of my favorite, favorite stories was we had a dog who actually had had three seizures its whole life. The owners took the dog to the beach. The dog ran way far down the beach and then seizured in the water. <sighs> and the dog swallowed a bunch of salt water ended up at an emergency clinic over in Polsbo who did a very good job stabilizing the dog and immediately, within an hour, realized the dog needed to go on a ventilator. Mm. And doing life support ventilation therapy is a really big deal, and most people don't have the ventilator, and most people kind of don't know how to run it. It's it, it's tricky. We have a ventilator. That's one of the things I do. They were able to get the dog on oxygen safely across the ferry and to us, And we, it was a four-year-old dog who was otherwise healthy. Mm. And the owners said, we want to save this dog. It was a golden retriever, great dog. We ended up having the dog on the ventilator for three days, and it was in the hospital for 10 days, and the dog went home. Mm. And the owner sent me a card of the dog, like, jumping after a Frisbee four years later, Mm. doing fantastic. And so, you know, I think for us, I, you know, those stories, like, it makes it all worthwhile. Because that was such a great case. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like a huge deal at the time. A mm-hmm. um, lot of money, but the dog lived for another eight years, eight, ten years afterwards. Yeah. So that's a great story. Um, I want to just touch on when we come back from um, our last break today, it's about the some of the technology that you have in house. And mm-hmm. I was reading. Uh, some of the information I got, and there was one that I actually laughed out loud. I was like, oh, I don't even 
that's like so many different words. I don't even know what any of them mean. Um, but a really important piece of you being able to do the work that you do is the technology that you have access to. So yeah, uh, no pun intended. So uh, we'll we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to canine and feline caviar, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 29th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our animal friends Sunday. Mollywood Avian Sanctuary and Macaw Rescue and Sanctuary will cover the birds. Allbreed Equine Rescue will cover the horses in the North End. Plus, our own mortgage lender, Peggy Kaler, joins us. She's got a huge announcement, plus she's bringing Cowgirl Horse Rescue. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist www.sensitivedog.com. No shirt, no shoes, no problem. Come as you are. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we're back with Dr. Beth Davidow, who's the Medical Director for Access, Animal, Critical Care, and Emergency Services. And it's been wonderful to have you here on the show talking about all of the wonderful aspects of Access and uh, just sort of a tip of the iceberg with all that you do there. And I look forward to getting more in-depth with your individual specialists to talk more about their, um, their particular fields and just empower my audience with as much information as I possibly can. So um, one of the things that is impressed me, too, in learning about what you offer is the technology that you have in-house mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, would be another difference between uh, a specialty center versus a regular um, family vet. Um, like, I mean, you mentioned in the last segment, uh, you know, a ventilator. Right. Having one in the first place and, you know, really being um, able to u- to know how to use it as well, because it sounds like it's not in necessarily an easy thing to do. So, um, so, you know, what are some of the things that you have going on there as far as the technology? 
So um, we have a lot of different things. And again, a lot of these things are expensive, which is why it only makes sense is if you have a large facility such as ours, we have 18 veterinarians working between the two facilities. Um, So some of the things we have is we do have a four-slice CT scanner in-house, so that allows us to do three-dimensional imaging. That ends up being really important for um, things. Nasal disease is really hard to diagnose. Um, Standard skull x don't work very well. Dog noses are huge and things can hide in them. And CT ends up being a really good way to find mm. out about some of those things. Um, we It's often better than ultrasound or x-rays at telling whether a liver tumor is going to be resectable or not, or an adrenal tumor, whether it's invading into the blood vessels and how tricky surgery is going to be. So mm. it's very useful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of scoping equipment, and so um, if you've ever been a person and had a colonoscopy, um, we do similar types of things in animals. Cats get a lot of inflammatory bowel disease. In the best, safest way in some of these older kitties to get biopsies is with a scope. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have um, scopes for going into the GI tract, and that's basically a long tube that's got a camera on the end. It's got a little biopsy instrument that can go down, so you don't have to open them up. You can put the tube and look all the way down into the stomach and the mm. intestines and all around. must be interesting having, you know, where you've been in this field for almost 20 years now, it has must have changed so much since you started. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that have, have changed. I think one of the big things is our use of CT. Um, we really, nobody had CT scanners or very few people had CT scanners. There weren't any in Western Washington at all mm. in 95. Um, and so learning how those are useful is important. The other thing that's changed is the use of minimally invasive surgery. And so we do now have the ability to do laparoscopic procedures and thoroscopic procedures where we're using, you know, kind of people who've had their gallbladder out all all know now that in people, instead of doing a big open your abdomen, they can take out your gallbladder with a scope. Mm. Well, we're more and more having the technology and also the skill set to be able to do similar types of surgeries in dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things we're using minimally invasive surgery for is doing what are called prophylactic gastropexies, where we tack the stomach down to prevent the stomach from twisting, mm-hmm. to prevent a bloat. But we can do it instead of doing a big, huge abdominal incision, we can do it with two little incisions mm-hmm. just to use our instruments to get in there and do it with a camera. What would have somebody think to do that for their for their dog, certain breed types or? Yeah, uh, it's not a surgery for all dogs. We don't recommend prophylactic gastropexies all the time. I mainly recommend it in Great Danes. So mm. Great Danes have a fairly high lifetime risk of having a bloat. Yeah. And the, it is a more expensive surgery and there is a risk of death with yeah. bloat if not caught early. Yeah. And so I really think with Great Danes, um, especially if you have a very deep chested one, that you should strongly talk to your vet about that. And then again, because we can now do it non-invasively, the recovery time is pretty quick. Mm. Are there some things that people, um, just some tips about preventing bloat, some things like, you know, don't, don't run vigorously after you eat or like any of those types of things that or like elevated food dishes, or I've heard a whole bunch of things flying around, but are there things for people to kind of like, you know, 
it, it's hard because I think there's a lot of stuff that's been published and what will show in one study as being preventative and another study won't. Mm. Um, I do think elevating food dishes is probably good. If you can make your dog eat less fast, it helps. And mm. so um, sometimes feeding them a couple meals a day. I don't recommend any large deep tested dogs be fed once a day. Mm. They should always be fed at least twice a day. Mm. Um, probably not exercising right after they eat is probably a good idea. You know, unfortunately, many of the bloats I see, I don't think there's any way that people could have prevented it. Mm. And so I think what's actually most important is recognizing the signs early and getting your dog in right away. And what are those? So it's basically, it's a large dog who all of a sudden starts retching and trying to vomit and isn't bringing anything up. And many people will actually notice that they're starting to look distended. And so if your dog starts looking like they're trying to vomit, they're not vomiting, and now they look wider and wider and wider, you should just bring them in right away. And the faster we catch it, the better they do. And I've definitely had dogs with bloat where owners have caught it immediately. We often, if you, we've had dogs where you walk in our door, we're in surgery within 45 minutes, they're out of surgery within you know, two and a half hours of getting to our facility, and those dogs go home the next day and do great, and they never look back. Mm. Um, The dogs where we have problems are the dogs where – you know, unfortunately, sometimes you're not home when it starts or you you just didn't know because they showed atypical signs. Those are trickier. Yeah. Um, and then some dogs, older dogs, will sometimes bloat because they have something underlying going on. Hmm. And those are harder because there's a secondary problem. Mm. Interesting. Well, thanks for those tips. That's such a scary thing. Um, I, I actually know a Great Dane that bloated and yeah. lived. And, um, you know, she's fine now, but... Yeah. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I will um, certainly be reminding you about uh, the talk that uh, Dr. Tamara Mm -hmm. Walker is giving at Great Dog, caring for your active dog. And she is a orthopedic. She's a general surgeon. She does both orthopedic and soft tissue. Great. Uh, October 27th, that is at Great Dog in North Seattle, caring for your active dog. Um, That is a great topic, and I look forward to talking more in depth about that on the show here. And uh, criticalcarevets.com is the website. I do have a couple of announcements before we say goodbye today, Um, just real quick. Um, both of these are, um, I'll post all the details on our website, but the AHELP Project, uh, Animal Hospice, End of Life, and Palliative Care, um, every Wednesday, um, tonight, Wednesday from 6.30 to 8, House Call and Hospice Vet um, from Compassion for Paws will be talking about veterinary palliative care for your dogs living with disabilities, chronic and term- terminal illness, Um, learn about comfort-focused therapies at home that can help um, improve the quality time together. And also um, Dr. Donna Kelleher, who is an incredible holistic vet, is doing a seminar Saturday, October 19th from 9 to noon, uh, How to Achieve Wellness in Your Dog or Cat, where Dr. Kelleher will present uh, amazing cases, answer questions, and more. It's only $40.00. And that is hosted by the Natural Pet Pantry, one of our partners of the show. I'll post all the details of those on our website, dogradioshow.com. If you've missed any part of this episode, this is number 239, I think. 
Um, they're all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com, also available as a free podcast on iTunes. You can listen anytime online to both of those. And a big congratulations on your 10-year anniversary this week, Dr. David Out. It's really um, very, very impressive all that you have built for the community and uh, quite an accomplishment. And I look forward to celebrating with your community tomorrow night. And uh, just a big, big congratulations to you and all of the employees and staff that have built Access to be what it is today. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a fun 10 years. It's a great community to work in. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, Again, criticalcarevets.com is their website. And um, yeah, it's just awesome. I really look forward to future interviews um, and benefiting from all of the expertise under that roof. So congratulations again. And thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. 